Welcome back, everyone, to the Rebuild SoCal Zone. I am Carol Church, and I will be your host today. You know, today we're going to be discussing some new projects coming to Southern California. With me today to discuss these is Mr. Paul Erb, the Executive Vice President of McCarthy Construction in the San Jose region. Welcome, Paul. Happy to have you on our podcast today. Hi, Carol. It's good to be here. Right on. I think one of the things when your office and our office were talking and chatting about this podcast, very exciting to hear about some of the new projects that you guys are participating in and taking taking hand in here in Southern California. And one of those, I think, is on everybody's list. If, if you know anything about golf or you have any interest in golf, is the new Top Golf that's being built in El Segundo. Paul, tell me a little bit how that project came to your company. How did you get involved in this? Is this one of the first ones you've done? Tell me a little history here. Yeah, absolutely, Carol. First of all, I absolutely agree with you. Um, anybody in the community should be super excited by the fact that we've got a Top Golf coming to El Segundo. It's just such a fun, fabulous uh, facility, and I'm excited to talk about it. But the the background on it, the backstory uh, in terms of how McCarthy and Top Golf got connected. We actually built Top Golf's first facility in Las Vegas back in oh gosh, it must be 2016 now, and that was a wild success, a uh, ton of fun. We've had a number of company events there since we completed it, and we always absolutely love going back. But now that you know Top Golf is making a move towards growing in Southern California and California as a whole, and they they've reached out to us and said, hey, would you like to build another one? And of course, we said yes. That's fantastic. Yeah, the, the location they picked is fantastic. It's right in El Segundo. If you're familiar with the area, it's located in a, in a perfect spot between the Raytheon campus and the Chevron uh, facility there, right, right on PCH. What makes it so great is that it's going to be easily accessible from both the north and the south to communities on either side of it. Quite honestly, that was part of the reason I wanted to talk to you further about this is how is it that they find the location or how do, do you know any of the background on why they chose El Segundo? Was it more on the city wanting something like this uh, to come there? And why, why El Segundo and not somewhere else? I know it looks like they're going to be possibly doing one in the Inland Empire in Ontario, but I, I wasn't sure about how they're really choosing where they want to land. Yeah, you know, Topgolf, they, they're constantly looking for new properties to, to grow. You know, it's got to be the right size because it's not only, you know, golf during the day, it also acts as an entertainment venue at night for individuals who want to play golf at night. It's got lights on the course and music and it's got, you know, it's a driving range with numerous bays and, and an entertainment facility. They got to find a community which is open to that, right? And uh, they look for these properties and then they try and engage the community if there's interest in building a top golf there in El Segundo. Not only had a great property that was in the middle of the community, but still a little bit isolated from the residential, it was also something that the community really got behind and backed. And I think the reason for that is that there's going to be about, Topgolf and El Segundo will create probably about 500 permanent jobs and bring about, I think, $1 to $2 million of annual revenue to the community in tax incomes, which is just fantastic. So it's really just a win-win for everyone involved. I couldn't agree more. I'm actually from Northern California where there is a Top Golf in um, Roseville, but I haven't been to it yet and I'm dying to get there. You know, um, all yeah. ages, you don't have to have any particular skill level, but it's something that you can do together as a family, as friends, 
And, and we're losing that. You know, a lot of our family entertainment centers, even prior to COVID, but since COVID specifically, have really struggled. So it's nice to see this come back and have something that is different and that you can enjoy. I'm just astonished at how exciting this is going to be. And I also, well, you know what, Paul, I'm going to let you answer this one too. Let's talk a little bit about some of the things that this will do for the youth. Because one of the things is I was watching some of the videos that, that you guys sent over and also taking a look at their website is the junior golf program coming back, which I think is something that's been missing. And this community is going to be able to take advantage of having that program so close and well-respected and you know brought back together. Um, have you seen that transpire in the other areas like Vegas? Well, I think, you know, I can't speak specifically to the junior golf program, but I can speak specifically to what the Top Golf facility is going to do for the community. And you had mentioned inclusion before. And I think that's a really important word, especially when we're looking at it in terms of a facility like Top Golf, right? It's no secret that golf has been part of the business industry for a really, really long time. It's the way that individuals get together and they, they build camaraderie and there's some team building out on the golf course. And quite frankly, that hasn't always been available to everybody. And it's really a, a privilege to be able to go out and play a round of 18 in a business setting. And what Topgolf does is it provides an opportunity for businesses to meet there and have everybody included in it where they're not committed to a full round of 18. You can go there and have a meeting, you know, hit some balls and have some fun with it. It can grow into you know, dinner and drinks. So it becomes a much more inclusive environment for business settings, but it's also an inclusive environment for families, right? It's just good family fun. You want to go out to dinner and you also want to mix it with an activity. You can sit there and have dinner while your daughter or son are, are hitting golf balls and having a friendly competition. And I think that that makes golf that much more accessible to everybody. And I think that's going to then translate into positives in the business world for individuals. Oh, completely agree. You know, not not everybody's privileged enough to be able to ever be on a country club golf course or belong to a group like that. So this allows that to happen, which is very exciting. You know, it's like I said, even some of the other entertainment properties have had really tough time making it. So again, another reason why this will be an opportunity for, you know, many generations to come. So yeah. How was it that it happened when you guys got Las Vegas? Like, did you know you wanted to do a project like this? Was it a challenge? Had you put any thought into, you know, why Top Golf? Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, for us, when we look at clients, right, and Top Golf is a client of ours, we want to build for clients that have similar cultures and values that we do and understand what it takes to build a projects of this complexity and have a team mindset towards working through design and working through the construction and then eventually the occupancy. And what we found early on when we started talking with Topgolf was that we had very similar values and it was very easy and very seamless to have good, honest conversations about how we can make the Topgolf Las Vegas a reality. So it met the criteria from that perspective. And then certainly it's just a fun project, right? It's different. We build offices and labs and healthcare facilities and classrooms. And we're some of the biggest builders in the country and certainly the state for those types of facilities, but there's not a lot of top golfs getting built at this type of facility. So when we saw it as an opportunity and the culture was right and the alignment with top golf was good, 
it just became a passion project for us. And it just said, that looks really fun to build. So we went after it pretty hard. Yeah, no, it does. And we'll have a link at the beginning of the podcast where you'll be able to access the video that the city council put on and McCarthy building leadership that was there on the ground, making it all happen. So the project manager and others were there. So it was, it does look like it was a good fit and that, you know, in this world that you're not having a lot of changes at the end. So it's always good to know who you're, who you're getting into business with. So absolutely. You know, one of the things too, I noticed in the video, and I just like your opinion on this, you had women featured in your video. I know women in construction is a very hot topic right now, and it's a growing silo, if you will, of women in the workforce. And I would like to just hear if you have, you know, kind of like your philosophy at McCarthy with women in construction. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you asked this question. It's a, it's a super important question. For a long time, the construction industry has been dominated by men, and it's historically, it's known as a tough industry, and engineering has always been let's just say male dominated. But what we've realized, honestly, Carol, in the last 20 years, certainly during my career, is that to be successful in this business, you need a high degree of emotional intelligence, right? And you need to be able to have those soft skills and be able to work through issues and problem solve. And when when there was a, a movement in the industry to increase our diversity and our women in the various ranks through construction, we also saw this incredible growth within the industry and improvement and evolution. We realized it was due to this insertion of this these high level of emotional intelligent individuals who all come in and they balance that with the logic driven male side. And it's been a wonderful outcome. And I think as we look to the future for what construction needs to be, what the construction industry needs to be, we really want to get to a place where we're, we're 50-50, right? We've got the best talent out there and we believe that that's a, a well-balanced organization. And it's also going to provide a well-balanced thought process to how we approach all of our projects. That's really great to hear because a lot of what we've done too on our side is, you know, with our union organizations is really understanding the footprint for a woman or anybody for that matter, but women in particular, the footprint that they can have a true career, not just a job, but that this is a career and a lucrative career and, and also something that they are proud of. As we've been interviewing women and we've got a few videos on our site too, they're so proud of what they've done and what they're doing. And there is that emotion. We have one video in particular where, you know, she's getting a little choked up over the amount of work and the beauty of the work that they're doing out on this freeway project. So I couldn't agree with you more. And I know it's nice to hear you say that somebody at your level as well, though, to really have like your thumb on the pulse of what's happening, you know, not that you wouldn't, but I mean, in specifically this arena that you put it in those words, it's, it's I don't know. I love it, Paul. Thank you. Yeah. I really want to encourage especially women who are in high school right now and where they're thinking about what careers they want to go into. Construction is, you're absolutely right in that it can be a lucrative career for anyone who joins it. And you don't necessarily need to have an engineering degree to get into construction management. We've hired individuals with business degrees, engineering degrees, construction management degrees. You know, there's also positions in marketing and graphic design and architecture. And the one great thing about construction, not to digress too much, but it's, we actually build something, right? Yeah. At the end, I'm 20, a little over 20 plus years into my career. And I look back at all the wonderful buildings that I have 
had the opportunity to be a part of and all the wonderful teams that I've had an opportunity to work with. And it's just such a proud feeling to know that we've had an impact on our communities in such a wonderful way. And I would encourage anyone out there, you know, man or woman, if they're considering getting into construction that, you know, pay McCarthy a visit and check out some of the really cool stuff that we do. And I can tell you, if you're a woman in high school and you're looking for construction, this is the place you want to be. And I think too, one of the things when we talk about inclusivity is also the technology that has totally been changed. Um, and I would say probably the last 10 years, but in terms of drones to, you know, all of the different iPad and the bitmap, I mean, all of that is a big part of that. So it's exciting. You know, if you didn't think it's just shovels, it's not, there's a lot more to it. No, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's an incredibly sophisticated business. Uh, 15 years ago, we were coordinating our buildings, our very complex buildings on light tables in the back conference room and just overlaying 2D drawings on top of each other and trying to figure it out. And now today in in that short period of time, we're building digital twins, right? Before we ever put a shovel in the ground, we've got a digital twin of the building we're going to build that's fully coordinated out and shows every nut, screw, washer, piece of steel, you know, of the building in place. And it allows us to provide not only a better experience for everybody involved, but also a higher quality product. And we can build it faster and we can build it cheaper. And it's all because of the technology that's become available to us in the last 15 years and, and how we've adopted it. Yeah. Well, Paul, I think this might be a good time as we're talking about projects. Let's talk about another project that McCarthy's working on. And that is also in Southern California. And that's the student housing project at Cal State Long Beach. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that one is that one's an exciting one for different reasons. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think there's been a housing project built out at CSU Long Beach for over 40 years. And that campus is thinking big and bold and ambitious about what they want to do in terms of sustainability. They want to be a, a completely net zero campus by 2030, which is incredibly ambitious, but achievable. Yeah. And the buildings that, that we're currently out there building right now are at the forefront of that movement. And we'll be, you know, net zero, living building challenge certified and lead platinum buildings uh, that are going to really set the pace and set the example, I think, for all CSU buildings, regardless of what campus moving forward. I think you're right. I've been hearing this um, on other uh, platforms that we sit on and listen to. And that is there's many out there right now, you know, from the bonds that, that have been raised. So we know that it's time. It's time for them to have a facelift and to, you know, really get to the point where they um, are going to be able to meet any of the climate goals, et cetera, that the state's having and the county and local county and cities as well. So how long will this project take? Where are you at in the project right now? Yeah, so this is a it's a collaborative design build project, which we've been working on for some time right now. Our partner is uh, Gensler. Okay. And we should be finishing this year. And which is pretty exciting, right? It was one of those projects that got, you know, all of our projects got a little, you know, they got thrown a curveball due to the pandemic, but uh, they're staying the course and they're going to get done this year. And then with the Living Building Challenge uh, projects, they actually have to be occupied and run for 12 months before they can actually be certified as a Living Building Challenge. And that's mostly due to the fact that the way it gets, it's the Living Building Challenge certification is based on how a building actually performs versus how it's modeled or what they anticipate the performance to be, uh, which is more typical of a, of a lead project. 
yeah, so they're going to have people actually living in them, you know, figuring out what, you know, if there's a tweak here that needs to be done. I mean, do you have to stay on then for that point? Will you stay on that next year and until you get full certification? And is that how that works? We won't be mobilized on site during that time, but we'll stay very, very close to the project to make sure it's performing the way okay. it's intended to perform. Gotcha. All right. Well, yeah, no, that's exciting. Do you think that you'll be looking for projects like this across the state? Well, I mean, not to get too much into discussion on climate change, but you know, there are there is a lot of conversation out there right now about climate change. Yeah. And you look at the heat waves currently going on in Oregon and Seattle, right? Pacific Northwest, I think it was up to 115 degrees up there, which I didn't even realize it can get that hot. And we're seeing two days in a row. Yeah. They haven't had that kind of uh, any of that record keeping. They have not had two days in a row with triple digits ever. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty phenomenal. You know, the, the drought in the Southwest, the, the fire seasons, the heat, right? So, you know, people are seeing this ex- these extreme weather patterns and they're realizing that we have to do something. And yeah. we're also looking at the fossil fuel industry and people are seeing that, you know, we can be a much cleaner community using electric cars, having cleaner buildings. And people are having that conversation and money is getting committed to that. So at McCarthy, we are certainly uh, excited about building those types of projects, but I think it's going to start to become the norm in the next five years to get to California's 2030 initiatives. It, It has to. It has to. You're absolutely right. You know, Paul, as we're talking and you're kind of brought up a couple points, how did McCarthy do through the pandemic? Um, I know we were, you know, our construction arena was deemed essential, which was so imperative to keep people working and keep California moving. Were you impacted in ways you didn't think you would have seen? Or, I mean, where are you, where is it now? And how do you see the future? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a, Loaded, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> it's a big question. It's a, you know, it's honestly, it's a fun one to to talk about because you want to you want to talk about adaptability and and innovation and flexibility you know the pandemic put the construction industry in mccarthy to the test mm-hmm. you know rewind to beginning of 2020 when when the pandemic was just first becoming real nobody really knew what was going to happen right it right. were full shutdown mode jobs were shut down communities were shut down life as we knew it stopped And as everybody just kind of try to figure out how severe is this pandemic going to be? How deadly is the virus? What is the impact going to be? And it didn't take too long for government to to start to identify who were the essential businesses, right? It was healthcare. It was, it was labs. It was first responders. And there was a conversation early on is construction an essential business and I remember those debates as if they were yesterday, went back and forth in the political arena. Sure. But at the end of the day, you know, I think logical heads prevailed and they realized that construction is a, it's a huge industry that affects millions and millions of people when you start to factor in the supply chain. But it's also, we're building the buildings of the future, right? The next right. generation of healthcare facilities, the next generation of labs that are going to come up with the medicines and the treatments, right? The next generation of educational facilities that are going to teach our kids. And to stop that didn't make sense. 
right? That it would, it would have an impact on the community, would have an impact on the, the economics of the construction industry and trickle all the way through the supply chains and down to the trades workers. But it would also have an impact on our ability to service all these other industries like healthcare, bioscience, and education in the future. So after you know, a fair deal of, of lobbying and politicking, we convinced the governments that we can be considered an essential business and we can continue to build and we can continue to do it in a safe manner, right? By socially distancing and contact tracing and assessing. And it proved out to be a great decision, right? And the construction industry, you know, continue to move forward and they continue to build. And, you know, we thought that the, the cost impacts due to COVID and all these requirements was going to be significant, but it turns out that the industry innovated and figured out that it's really not that big of an impact. We can, it does have some impact. I don't want to say it doesn't have any, but it wasn't as big as what we thought, right? And it was fun to watch the jobs and the industry innovate on a daily basis. And that's really what it came down to is innovation daily because the news and the direction and the requirements and the restrictions changed every single day. You know, now that we're coming out of it, you know, there's this tremendous sense of pride that we got through it and we got through it together and our projects continue to get built. And many of them, CSU, Long Beach are, are getting completed now. If we didn't keep building, you know, we wouldn't be turning that building over for a couple of years. You know, when I've talked with other construction companies and when we're talking about different things, the projects actually, the fact that they still continued was, first of all, a number one, because people need to keep working because so many in the hospitality industry were really hit hardest, you know, and those small businesses trying to stay open. But to know that um, we still had infrastructure being built was a savior. And I think also, too, it it did something to our industry in a sense that safety is always in the forefront. I know that, right? We, we know that that's a daily thing that you're going to be focused on. But this was a safety in a different way. You know, it was, and it had you think about it differently as well. I think from, you know, just also being disconnected from people, not seeing people, at least you're on the job site. You still have that brotherhood, sisterhood, and everybody's looking out for each other because they want to stay working. So we're going to comply and we're going to do what we need to do in order to continue working. So that says a lot about, I think, our industry. And um, I'm sure that, you know, you've seen it in your company specifically and, and what that's done, you know, people working from home now and, you know, it just changed and people, you know, rose to the occasion and, and outperformed in some cases than had they not, you know? So I can just speak from my office. I know we all witnessed that and went through that as well and created things that were not not going to be there before, you know? So the outcome is always great. Um, and I'm glad to hear that your philosophy and what happened within your organization sounds like you guys made it and it's a good thing and you guys have done it well. Yeah. Yeah. McCarthy did a fantastic job of adapting, but I think the real heroes are in those early days when we opened the business back up and we opened our jobs back up, those individuals who were going to work every day, the trades workers, the laborers, the carpenters, the electricians, the mechanics, the on-site field management, I mean, truly heroes in the sense that, you know, there was a lot of nervousness and anxiety going on at the time. And they woke up every morning and they went to the jobs, not necessarily knowing where this whole thing was going to end up. Right. In hindsight, we understand the risks, but at the time, the risks could have been significantly greater. And I truly look at them as heroes and I'm thankful for what they did every single day. And it's astonishing 
to me that they just all stepped up and they became a tighter family. And I value that part of this business so much. Absolutely. So Paul, thank you for those words and your sentiment behind the pandemic and how the industry, you know, rose to the occasion. And here we are. Let's talk a little bit about McCarthy's uh, construction commitment to SoCal. So I know you have quite a large area that you service um, in your position, but has there always been a focus in Southern California or are you seeing it trending to come into Southern California? Because you're a large corporation, so... Yeah. Yeah. McCarthy has been around since we've been doing business. We've been building since 1864, right? So over 150 years of building. Uh, and that's in the country, right? Nationally, we were founded in the Midwest and we've learned a lot in that time. And McCarthy was a family owned business for four generations until Mike McCarthy sold the business to the employees about 20 years ago. And now we're hundred percent employee owned. With that said, we've been doing work in California for over 35 years, including LA. And we have six offices in California, three up in Northern California and Sacramento, San Francisco, and San Jose. Mm-hmm. And three down here in Southern California, San Diego, Newport Beach, and Los Angeles. And okay. yeah, I'm super excited and proud to say our Los Angeles office, even though we've been doing work in LA for over 30 years, uh, we actually just committed to doubling down on the area by opening up a new office during the pandemic, which is something that I'm incredibly excited about. LA yeah. is just a fantastic place. And, you know, there's an argument that could be made that we should have made this move a couple of decades, if not longer ago. But we made the decision in late 19 to open an office in Los Angeles. Uh, and then we were looking at properties and the pandemic hit. And we said, we've been around for 150 years. We're going to be around for at least another 150 more and we're going to get through the pandemic. So we didn't slow down our plans for, for the new office. And we hired Gensler to design the space and we moved in not too long ago and we're right in downtown at 515 South Flower. Oh, wow. You're right in the heart. That's awesome. Yeah. Broadcasting from 515 South Flower right now. <laughs> well, we're in Anaheim, right behind the Anaheim Stadium. So okay. we made a move here to our new office in February of 2020. Okay. We were literally in here a month or so, a little bit over a month. And then we shut it down. So yeah. it's feels like we're in a new space again, even though um, you know we've been here over a year now, but it changed everything. I'll never forget. Well, yeah. I mean, the pandemic, just to go back a little bit, yeah. the pandemic, it changed a lot, right? It's, it's only been a year and a half, but it's changed a lot. And, you know, I think we're all learning how to work a little bit more remotely or with a little bit more flexibility in mind. But I think the toll that it really put on everyone, or maybe toll is not the right word, but the awareness that it gave me and the other leadership of McCarthy is the importance of mental health. Yeah. You know, the pandemic put an extra level of strain on everybody. You know, the, the heroes that I talked about earlier, as well as, you know, the local jurisdictions, the leadership, the individuals going to the job sites, the inspectors, you know, have a certain level of stress before pandemic hit and then the pandemic hits and everything got taken up a notch as people started dealing with the added stress of one, the pandemic to mm-hmm. the indirect outcomes of the pandemic, like having to take care of children having to take care of elderly parents or grandparents or you know, worrying about our you know immune compromised family members and partners right and that i think everybody did a great job of adapting and getting through the pandemic even though you know we're not through it yet but mm-hmm. close but i think what we learned was everybody needs 
you know, a little time for themselves. They need to take a mental breather. They need to recognize, you know, just take time for themselves and, and decompress. That's something that McCarthy has placed a lot of focus on in the last couple of years is just mental health awareness and how important it is to not only our culture, but the safety culture of the job sites and, and really the industry. Very well said, Paul. I mean, I think no matter what industry you're in or what market you're in, it's like we are all in this together and, you know, you're my neighbor or you're my friend or my, you know, there's somebody, it's all the same. You know, we've all gone through this and I'm hoping that going through something like this will help people also be aware of others and to remember other people, you know, especially since we've been away from people for so long to have that come back, I think is is going to be very welcomed and we'll have to just remember that. So that's my feeling at least. Yeah, I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to getting back to normal. And the loosening of the mass restrictions in mid-June was fantastic, right? And yeah. I already see the positive outcome in people's personalities and just their general camaraderie in the office, right? It's been fantastic. But, you know, I think one of the hardest things for people to, to say is, you know, I need help. And what we did at McCarthy during the pandemic was we tried to make a concerted effort to go out and, you know, talk to people, right? Yeah. And just ask them how they're doing and elevate it above the small talk, right? You walk into a room or you walk out to a job, you ask someone how they're doing, they're going to say, oh, I'm great. You know, but then you ask them, how are you really doing? You know, how yeah. are your kids? How, how's, your, how's your spouse? How's your partner? How are your parents? Yeah. How are your parents doing? How are they dealing with the pandemic and just pausing? People open up. And what I realized was everybody is carrying something, right? Everybody has got something going on in their lives, which is tough to deal with. And sometimes just talking about it with somebody else, just someone who listens is, is really, really helpful. I also think it's contagious, right? I think empathy is contagious. And when, when you experience it, you know, you're going to want to give it to somebody else, right? So, you know, for me, that's, that's something where I think coming out of the pandemic, we are a more empathetic, kinder industry Mm -hmm. that recognizes that we are all here for each other, that we can adapt and we can innovate. But at the same time, you know, there's a human element to what we do that we can't disregard. Absolutely, Paul. I'm, you know, I'm thinking about even a lot of just the projects that were happening at that time. And even though, you know, revenue may have been down for certain industries or other companies, but the fact of the matter is that projects were getting done faster, mm-hmm. safer, and under budget in many cases because the outside elements, the extra traffic, they were able to, you know, work different hours to accommodate that because of less traffic. I'm just using you know, freeways and highways, for example, but I mean, and just travel time in particular allowed people to get where they need to go. So there was some definite benefits. I mean, I do know that, you know, less traffic here in Southern California is always welcomed. <laughs> yes. Like you'll never see it like that again in LA. <laughs> uh, it just won't happen. But, you know, the fact of the matter, we'll look back at this someday and, you know, talk to our kids or grandkids and they're like, you went through the, what? And then you'll see these blank streets with no cars on them. What? Are you kidding me? So I think the history books will definitely have a lot of information and and to know that uh, the construction industry um, was a big part of that. And I think they're also going to be a huge part of the recovery, the financial recovery, um, as well as the mental anguish that it did for people and those that lost loved ones, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it'll be 
the books will tell it all. Let's just say that, you know. I hope so. I hope they get it right. I hope they get it right too. <laughs> I think that's the big what if, but I think we're going to work, you know, if we have any input, I'm hoping that we will be able to you know, give some input or a group like McCarthy will be able to have as a top leader in this industry, you'll be able to give the opinion, give your sense of what it was like, because it's an important part of, of the story. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Well said. <laughs> I think your conversation was, I was like riveted. I wanted to hear what you were going to say next. So that for me on this side, it was really exciting to hear. So I appreciate all of your insight and, and the way you share you know, your passion for this industry and, and the length of time you've had in this industry goes without saying that I'm thrilled that we had you as our guest. Oh, thank you, Carol. I really appreciate it. And thank you for making it so easy. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Rebuild SoCal Zone. Thank you all for listening and a huge thank you to Mr. Paul Erb for joining me today. As always, please subscribe to us on all of your platforms so you never miss an episode. Take care.